0: uh... called can i ask that and uh... if you missed any part of this series um... it's been so good so far um... it's it's been really good And, and if you missed any part of it the idea behind the sermon series is that we take some hard questions that maybe have dark and murky answers and we're just doing our best to shed some light on what the bible says about these questions and uh... Because we believe that questions don't cause people to walk away from God, but silence does. To be honest, sometimes the reasons why these questions are murky, it's because they don't have a clear-cut answer. Uh, It would be great, you know, if they did. It would have made my job a whole lot easier this week, you know. Um, uh, I could have shown up to church this morning and said... 'Cause in imaginary church I, I wear a tie, but not in real church. Um, <clears throat> so, good morning church. Well today's question of the day is does God discriminate against women? The answer is no. Could the ushers come forward please? And the worship team come. You know, that that would that would be that would be that would have made my job a lot easier. Um, But the truth is, the answer to these questions are difficult to explain, and that's why so many people are tempted to stay silent about them. But here's the thing, any question you have, God can handle. He never condemns us for asking questions, but it is our job as Christians to raise up strong followers of Jesus. And... That means talking through some of the aspects of the Bible that you know may cause doubt and confusion. And, and so I hope this series has been a good jumping off point for you into some deep waters for you and, and for your grow group. Um, grow groups are actually where the discussions are actually happening um, because that's what, that's what grow groups are. They're a community that, that are just together and they, and they do life together and they talk through the, they sort through the deep issues, you know, and I'm not saying one group, one grow group is better than the other, but, um, or any of the other ones, but mine is pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. No, they're all, they're all awesome. So, um, but, uh, so I encourage you, you know, especially in this series, it makes a whole lot of sense to try out a grow group right now because it gives you a place to talk through some of the stuff in a safe place. So with that said, and in honor of Mother's Day, our can I ask that question of the day is, does God discriminate against women? Now, let me first say I was extremely uncomfortable with this topic, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, but I do want to say up front, like, I love women. Like I was born from one and probably you were too, you know, (laughs) um, you know, like I, I just have a massive amount of respect for women and, and like, I'm actually married to a woman, you know, like, like, yeah, she's right over there. She's gorgeous. And, and so like, she puts up with a lot, like, honestly, in my book, she's kind of a saint, you know, um, she's right up there with Paul, um but um but you know, despite all these awesome things about about women, you know I think some I think women can be one of the most confusing creatures that God ever created on the earth like they' i mean they're they're just mysterious, like for instance, when they're young, like they go to the bathroom in groups, like what's that about you know like and you know in the in the bathroom they need like five sets of soaps and shampoos and conditioners right like and you know for instance like i don't know sometimes they cry at commercials like you know like they're just mysterious you know and and above all else like they get so excited when the NFL draft is on right oh wait that's just my wife sorry guys my my wife is like a diehard football fan maybe that doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies to me. And and maybe the most confusing of all is that they choose to love us Neanderthal men. You know what I mean? That's honestly baffling to me. Women are just plain confusing sometimes. And you know what? So is the Bible. When it comes to the Bible, there are a lot of confusing passages regarding women in it. And not to mention that people over the years have twisted their intended meanings and, and these, these passages that we're talking about, they can really trip people up and confuse people. They can make them wonder, does God view women as second rate? So that's what we're going to discuss today, but spoiler alert, the answer is no. <laughs> the ushers can come forward now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God does not discriminate against women, so we 're going to look at this, and um, so i could I could uh, sit here and pick apart all the scriptures that are controversial, and I could make sure that you have all the talking points to disarm someone who wants to argue with you, but that 's not the point of this series. The point of this series is not to help us have better arguments. The point of this series is to give us clarity in our own lives so that we can live fully in the life God intended for us. Most of the scriptures about women that confuse people come down to context. And there's a saying about the Bible, and I find it to be extremely true, and it's this. You may want to write this down. A text without context is a pretext. So pretext means a reason given in justification of a course of action that is not the real reason. So a pretext means a reason given in justification of a course of action that is not the real reason. So basically, the saying means that if you look at the scripture outside of the context, the cultural climate and place and people it's being written to, you can make it mean whatever you want. So, for the sake of time, let's just take one of these misunderstood scriptures in the Bible and and look at it. And and keeping in mind the context of the situation. So, if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. um, Or load it on your iDevice or whatever you're going (laughs) to do. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. So, I'm going to go ahead and have you stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, and uh, so, let's read. Okay, starting at verse 21, chapter 5, Ephesians. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your, your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as... This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wives must respect her husband. All right, you may be seated. Now, before all the women in the congregation start throwing rotten tomatoes at me, let, let me let me let's uh, let's let's talk this out a bit. Let's let's hear, hear me out because um, when we get to the heart of this passage, I believe. That you will see that it's very important for us today, um, but there are some things that you need to know about the day and age that the scripture was written in. Uh, it's important to know how women were treated during the time of that the New Testament was written, especially within the Near Eastern, uh, the ancient Near Eastern culture. Um, in general, when the New Testament was written, um, in general, women were not considered equal to men. For example, women were typically forbidden to talk to men except for their own husbands. Women were not allowed to worship with men. They were also forced to cover their heads because their hair was considered extremely private. Women were restricted to household work only and also were not considered a reliable witness in court. That's the one that gets me. Um, I mean, all of them are not good. but <laughs> So um, when this passage comes up in discussion today... People who have an agenda usually like to jump right to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. I'm not looking at you guys, but you know. Um, but sometimes people tend to jump right to that verse, and nine times out of ten, they just leave it at that if they have an agenda. Um, but and they skip over the first part of the section of scripture where it says in verse 21, submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. I mean, just that first verse alone in the context of the day and age it was written in would have been mind blowing to everyone who heard it. Men and women alike. This was like, this was a revolutionary thought because it was not completely male focused like society was at the time. It tasks men and women with the same duty to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. It then goes on to give an example of ways we should submit to each other as husband and wife. For wives, as we've read already, it says to submit yourselves to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. But men, before you get all high and mighty on us, um, Paul calls you to submit just as deeply. Paul uses the metaphor for you to love your wives as Christ loved the church. The text goes as far to remind us The husbands that Christ gave himself up for the church. And guys, if you read this section of scripture again all the way through, you'll notice that Paul devotes twice as many words to the, to telling us to love our wives. And I just don't think, I don't think that's because he thinks we're slow. You know, like, I think it's because he wants to make sure we understand what he means by love. So to summarize, how is Paul saying that we should love our wives? Well, number one, we should be willing to sacrifice everything for them as Christ did the church. Christ gave His life and death in submission to the Father for the sanctification of the church. We as husbands are called to do nothing less. Part two of what Paul talks about is that we should... Uh, make her well-being of primary importance in that we should care for her as we care for our own body, which was yet another revolutionary idea at the time. Care for your wife as you care for yourself. As if they're one. As if they're the same. Equal. And in Ephesians uh, 5.31, Paul goes on to quote Genesis... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Become one flesh. Head and body, two different roles, but equal importance. See, I think where people get hung up on this passage is because of the word submit. Submit. Submitting to another person is often a misunderstood concept. Um, God ordained submission in certain relationships to prevent chaos, but it is essential to understand that submission is not surrender. It's not withdrawal. It's not apathy. It, It does not mean inferiority because God created all people in His image and because all have equal value. Submission is mutual commitment and cooperation. Which is why God calls for submission among equals. He did not make man superior. He made a way for man and woman to work together. Jesus Christ, although equal to God the Father, submitted to Him to carry out the plan for salvation. Submission between equals is submission by choice, not by force. We serve God and honor Jesus by willingly submitting to each other as husband and wife and as equals. So, okay. We've checked out the context of one Scripture that seems confusing at first. Um, It would be really interesting to take a poll of how many people feel differently now versus when we first read the Scripture, but we won't do that. But... um, uh, something to keep in mind though Is that we just went over one Scripture Regarding women And you never want to let one scripture Speak for the whole Bible Like you just don't want to do that That's how bad theology is born And so I encourage you Don't take my word for it Because I'm not a scholar I'm not a theologian I'm just a dude You know And um, Don't take my word for it Go home If this subject strikes a chord with you, spend some time on your own with trusted friends or by yourself studying these passages. But don't forget to look at the context. Because remember, a text without a context is a pretext. So make sure to look at the big picture when you do this. Now okay, deep breath. Now we're going back to our original question. Does God discriminate against women? We've heard some of what Paul had to say so far, right? and and On the subject. um, But what about Jesus? If if Jesus was fully man and fully God, it seems natural that we should look at how Jesus interacted with women while He was on the earth. And if He showed any signs of discrimination... um, One story for me immediately jumps to mind, although there are many, and I want to spend the rest of our time together sharing this story with you because I feel like it makes an important point. So if you would please, uh, one more time, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. We're not going to get up this time, so um, you can just read along with me. But So Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. And so, while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and set the scene of what's what's happening before this scripture. So, so let's set the scene. Jesus is still early on in his ministry at this point. He's been teaching all over Galilee, um, including the famous beatitudes uh, teaching, and uh, he he has begun to perform miracles and healings of all sort at this point. Um, uh, Jesus has even raised someone from the dead and cured people of evil spirits. He even confirmed to John the Baptist people that you know he was the one that they've been waiting for. He he was the Messiah, God with us. And so with everything he'd been doing, the Pharisees, which were the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they had taken great interest in Jesus, and they wanted to find out who this man was that was performing all these miracles, and like why he was causing such a stir throughout the land. And so, one particular Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus over to his house for dinner, and that's where we pick up our story in Luke chapter seven, starting at verse thirty-six. You can stay seated, and let's just follow let's just follow the story along. Um, because I think it's very insightful. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading at 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The woman, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, Tell me, teacher. Two people owe money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is a day's wage. And the other earned him 50. So 500 days wage, 50 days wage. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt for giving. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She did not give me a kiss, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume out on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Alright, so you're probably thinking to yourself at this point, like, what the heck does that have to do with what we're talking about? Um, Well, I believe this passage makes a very important point about who Jesus favors, Um, If you notice in the beginning of the story, they refer to the woman as a woman who lived a sinful life. And that most likely meant that she was a prostitute or an adulterer. Um, She hears that Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. And remember that the Pharisees were the ultra-religious types who wanted to make sure religious laws were never ever broken. And also remember that at this time, a woman often didn't even speak in, in the presence of a man in public. So this woman hears Jesus is in town, rushes into this prominent man's house in the community with total disregard for what people will think of her. She comes in and she just begins to weep at the feet of Jesus. And in fact, she cries so much that she begins to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. And we already discussed how in the ancient Near Eastern culture, a a woman's hair was considered extremely private. And yet here she is, so full of sorrow for the life that she has led, that she can't stop crying and kissing Jesus' feet. But she doesn't stop there either. She begins to pour out this really, really expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. If you were a Middle Eastern man at this time, this would be an extremely upsetting sight to you. Like, and I love what happens next. Um, so, so Simon, the Pharisee whose house it is, begins to kind of grumble to himself, like, "Oh man, look at this guy." If, this This man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, and now she's a sinner. you know he was just like mumbling to himself and and see at this time in this culture, if someone even talked to a person who was considered a sinner, much less touch them, um, that person would be considered unclean, meaning that they couldn't participate in religious gatherings and rituals, and so this Pharisee starts mumbling to himself about. What he's seeing, and and he's just like, oh, if he only knew who, if he was a real prophet, he would know who she is. And and Jesus kind of interrupts his mumbling and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he's still, he's kind of mumbling, all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh yeah, oh, oh hey, um, hey teacher, yeah, what do you have to tell me? You know, and <laughs> and um, and I just love that interaction because Jesus totally calls him. But um, so uh, Jesus then. Begins to. He goes on. Wait, uh, shoot. Jesus then goes on to tell him a story about two people who owe some someone money. One debt is significantly larger than the other, but neither person could repay their own debt. And since neither person could pay back their debt, both debts were forgiven. Jesus goes on to ask the Pharisee a very interesting question. He says. Which one will love the debt forgiver more? And Simon, the Pharisee, answers the one who was forgiven of the bigger debt, I suppose. As if to say, I see where you're going with this, and I'm not sure I like it. And uh, Jesus then begins to rattle off some comparisons between Simon, this uber important Pharisee, and this woman who's probably a prostitute. And he begins to just rattle off these comparisons as if to point out that they were the debtors in the story. And so, in verse 44, he begins, "...so do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was, a custom, which was customary for a host to do for his guests." but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with my with her hair. Jesus continues. You did not give me a kiss but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is listing all the ways that this pharisee went out of his way to not welcome Jesus into his house. And if and if That wasn't enough. He is comparing the actions of this prominent religious leader to those of a woman who was probably a prostitute. Can you imagine, after all the things we discussed, can you imagine how insulted Simon must have felt? This kind of comparison would have been unfathomable to him. But Jesus goes on in verse 47 Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. I mean, can you imagine the buzz that was going around about Jesus after this dinner party? I mean, that must have been crazy. I mean, can you imagine after all the things we discussed about the culture of this time, how this one incident upset a whole bunch of cultural norms. There's so much in this in this passage of scripture that's worth digging into, but for the sake of time, the point we can take away today is that despite the differences between this man and this woman, and in the Jesus loved them both the same. Even though it was scandalous to do so, he loved them both the same. And in the story, it was a grateful adulterer Not a prominent religious leader whose sins were forgiven. Although God's grace through faith is what saves us, and that's key. And not acts of love or generosity. This woman's act demonstrated her true faith. Jesus honored her. That doesn't sound like a God who discriminates against women to me. In fact, Galatians 3.28 takes it to the next level and says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you, all are, you are all one in Jesus Christ. So folks, I'm here to tell you today that whether you're male or female... Whether you're black or white, brown, yellow, blue, or green. Whether you lived a life full of sin and debauchery, or you have been a strong follower of Jesus your whole life. God's grace is the same. For all of us. Yesterday, today, and forever. And you just, if you need that grace, you just gotta Truly, wholeheartedly ask for it. And no matter who you are, you will receive it. I can't think of a better way of celebrating this grace than taking part in communion. So, today, we're going to close our service with communion today, but if you need to handle some business with the Lord... Today, maybe you just need to weep at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you just need to come in submission to Him for, for His plan for your life. I don't know what your story is, but if you need to handle some business with the Lord this morning, the front will be open. There's seats there you can kneel out or you can kneel up here. People will come pray with you. Do not miss out on God's grace today. Because no matter who you are, it's for you. I'm going to read a scripture to lead us into communion time. And when I'm done, you may come to the Lord's table. And here at the mission, we just take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. And we, if you want to grab a napkin to take it back to your seat, you can. Or you can take it right here. Take your time. Really speak to the Lord this morning. Um, so I'm going to read this scripture, and after I do, you can come forward and come to the Lord's table. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26 says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father God, we just give this time to you, Lord. We ask God that you would just come in this place, Lord, that You would make this bread and this cup sink deeper into our hearts the meaning of it, Lord. God, thank You, thank You, thank You, thank You that no matter who we are, Your grace is sufficient. No matter what we've done, Your grace is sufficient, Lord. Help no one here miss out on that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. they come to the Lord's table.